Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the European Tour Podcast with me, Dan Burke, brought to you by One Football. Barcelona are back in business, but it looks like the Bundesliga title race is all over bar the shouting. There's plenty to discuss from across the continent this week, but first of all, joining me to reflect on the Africa Cup of Nations is Jibril Jock. Jibril, hello. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, now, I usually start by asking my guests for their highlight of the week on this podcast, but I think I've got a pretty good idea what yours is. Uh, Senegal, of course, won the Africa Cup of Nations for the first time in their history last weekend. How does it feel? Yeah, I mean, we are all buzzing right now. It's um, <laughs> it has been a long time coming. So yeah, definitely the highlight of the week of the year. Even um, we <laughs> did like fifty-seven years of independence. We've been waiting for this. My my grandparents have been waiting for this. So um, yeah, this is historic. I, I think I'll always remember like the sixth of February as maybe the happiest night of my life because obviously I don't have kids. I'm not married, so I can say. <laughs> Yeah, happiest night of your life so far, we'll say that, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, many people, myself included, to be honest, were a little bit disappointed by what was what was quite a boring final for the neutral. There was that missed penalty from, from Mane and then not a lot else until, until the penalty shootout right at the end. Was it boring for you or was it kind of a nerve-wracking game throughout? <laughs> when was the last time the, a final was like, like, you know, end-to-end stuff or whatever? Like yeah, a final is true. never, never going to be like a, um, a swashbuckling display of football or whatever. So, I mean, if you're going to try to analyze the final objectively, I think Egypt is the reason why it turned into like a chess match because Senegal tried to make plays, tried to create chances, but Egypt just parked the bus for 120 minutes, um, which is what they've done throughout the whole tournament, to be honest. That's why Mm. three out of their four knockout games have ended up in penalties. And they, (laughs) they tried to obviously take Senegal all the way to the penalties because they knew that they had a goalkeeper who was a very who's an expert in penalty penalty saving. Yeah. Um so I mean yeah, you could see that Salah was a bit frustrated by the the strategy, you know, his demeanor, his body language. Um but to be fair, their strategy was understandable because they didn't want to be exposed by Senegal's pace. So they just kind of shut up shop, parked the bus. Um because they knew that in front of them they had maybe maybe one of the top counter-attacking teams in international football. I mean, you have Ismail Assar and Sadio Mane um, <laughs> in, in an open field. It's just really dangerous, so it's understandable. Yeah. I was going to say, has, has there been any backlash towards Egypt coach Carlos Keres about this? Has, are people saying that maybe it was the wrong thing to do or, or do people understand that, that the strategy was like that? Um, to be honest, he has split opinions throughout the whole tournament in Egypt because Egypt, traditionally, they play a very expensive brand of football. So the fact that he came to this tournament with a very negative approach, but still he got the results. So some people were saying, okay, this was a means to an end. But some other people were saying, okay, maybe he has not respected the Egyptian DNA in terms of playing possession style football. So yeah, he polarized opinion for sure. Yeah, yeah. Going back to Senegal, we all saw the we all saw those amazing scenes in Dakar this week when they they brought the the trophy home. What does this achievement mean to the people of Senegal? Would you say? Oh, it means a lot. I mean, um, like you have to remember, like it's two years of pandemic. You know, people are a bit stressed. Some people have lost their jobs. There's run, rampant unemployment because of the pandemic. Um, uncertainty about the economy, all these things. So this win brings relief more than anything else. It brings mm. hope <laughs> because. There's nothing like football that can unite a country like this. Like, for example, after presidential elections, 
the the candidate who has lost, obviously his support is not going to be happy. So, but football, like everyone wants Senegal to win, so everyone is happy. So obviously political parties even put aside their grievances and like kind of joined and welcomed the players. So that was nice to see. So yeah, I mean, also we realize also this is a small miracle because we are a small country. Senegal is a small country, mm. sixteen million people. Egypt, like by comparison, has a hundred million people. So this is to tell you that we're not Nigeria, we're not South Africa or whatever. It's a small country still. So yeah, I mean, this is a miracle, and everyone, everyone is enjoying this. The celebrations are going to go well into next week. <laughs> I can assure you. Great. Is it fair to say this this group of players is considered Senegal's golden generation? And and you said it's a miracle. Did you believe that they could win the tournament going into it? You know what I. The, the word "golden generation" has never has never been used by our like Senegalese media to describe <laughs> this generation because we feel like we've all, always had like golden generations since the two thousand and two World Cup. Mm. And, like we've always had good crops of players because obviously most of our players go to France in the French academies and they get better and then they come and play for us. So we've always had one of the top teams in Africa since two thousand and two. So, but this is obviously our finest crop for sure. But yeah, I mean, depends on what you call golden generation. I mean, right now England has obviously a fine a fine crop, <laughs> yeah. but no one is calling them a golden generation because you had Beckham, all those guys before. <laughs> so you already know what a golden generation is. So we're on about our sixth golden generation at this point. Uh, still, still not yielded any yeah, exactly. trophies. Yeah. So, <laughs> It's just a hope it doesn't go to yeah. waste. <laughs> you mentioned the uh, the 2002 team. Of course, Aliou Cisse was the captain uh, of that team. They reached their first AFCON final in 2002. Then they lost the final with him as coach in 2019. How pleased are you for him, particularly to win this trophy as coach? Um, I'm going to make a confession. I was very harsh on him. Oh yeah, throughout the whole time. <laughs> I was yeah, I was I was criticizing on social media with my family and everything. He was the most scrutinized coach in the tournament <laughs> because on paper he had the best team, the best players to work with. And also, he has been in charge for eight years. Like in African football, being in charge of a national team for eight years is nothing short of a miracle. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, so time was running out fast for him, and um, he delivered in the end. So, yeah, I mean, we, we all apologize to him, I think, in many ways, because we were very harsh on him. He was very <laughs> criticized throughout the whole tournament. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, looking back at the uh, the tournament as a whole now, who, who were some of the players that really stood out for you, and, and who's come away from it with their with their reputations enhanced, would you say? Um, so, obviously, the quality of player was left a little to be desired, but we saw a lot of mm. young players who kind of, showed like a few glimpses here and there. I'm thinking about Alex Moriba, for example, the former Barcelona player mm. who actually earned a move to Valencia after the tournament. So he he did well, especially in the mm. group stages. Moussa Barro of Bologna, um, Bamba Dieng of Marseille. And actually he's been mentioned as a potential um, player for the Premier League for next season. Um, obviously the goalkeepers have been phenomenal throughout the whole tournament. Um, we've seen a lot of late bloomers like the Egyptian Egyptian goalkeeper, who's actually a substitute goalkeeper with his Egyptian club, but came to the tournament and just hmm. um, knocked it out of the park. So yeah, Nicolas Pepe, um, wow, he blew everyone away. He was really sensational. I think Arsenal fan will be yeah. Arsenal fans will be very happy, happy about Nicolas Pepe and El Nani how they performed. I think maybe their their transfer value took up, <laughs> took a like a, a little uptick there, but it's fine. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, take that form back to Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, because 
their reputations weren't uh, they were in the, in the gutter before the tournament, weren't Absolutely. they? So yeah, Absolutely. good. <laughs> I wanted to, to ask you about about Afcon from a from a French perspective, from from a Liga perspective, because you get a lot of complaints whenever the tournament comes around from managers and fans about about it taking place in the middle of the European domestic season, that being quite disruptive, and you know Jurgen Klopp caused a little bit of controversy for some things that he said before the tournament. Is it viewed that way in France as well, or, or are they used to so many league owned players going to the tournament at this point? Um, in France, there hasn't been the, um, the, the controversy about t- about this because France is used to having players leave in January because like since twenty the, the beginning of the twenty first century, even before that, because France has always had a, a strong contingent of African players. But the Premier League is only recently that they have had like a strong contingent of African players. So this is like a new problem for Premier League teams to contend with. Because obviously you have Mane and Salah and all these Malian players, Brighton, all these things who have um, strong players. So the controversy hasn't been that big in France, honestly. The competition is very respected yeah. in France because it's also a way for French clubs to scout and see who, which players they can they can pick. Yeah, for sure. After yeah. the tournament. Yeah. yeah. Speaking more about Ligue 1 now, there was, of course, a, a big game in France on Sunday. PSG winning 5-1 at Lille. Uh, Kylian Mbappe said afterwards that he hasn't made his decision about his future yet and he said playing against Real Madrid changes a lot of things what do you think he meant by that and do you think he has made a decision about his future yet yeah I mean it's mind games I think <laughs> um, Kylian Mbappe um, unfortunately I think sometimes his communication is not very on point um, he says stuff and he doesn't really realise the repercussions of what he says yeah. but I think his mind is made up I think he's just trying to because he hasn't I don't, I don't think he has discussed with Real Madrid yet the terms of his salary, all these things. So this is also a way to put pressure on Real Madrid and tell them, you know what, I could I could go to Chelsea, I could go to Man City, so you better pay me, mm. you better like get the sign-on fee, all these things. So this is a way also to put pressure on Real Madrid, but I think his mind is made up. Real Madrid is, is his dream club. I don't think he would have went to war with PSG for another club other than Real Madrid. Yeah. So it's just all mind games, I think. So you don't think he's saying, if we beat... Real Madrid, I might stay with PSG beyond this season. He, there's no way he stays after this. <laughs> he's he's yeah. gone. Like, like to be fair with him though, he has been maybe PSG's best player this season. He really has been professional in terms of how he conduct, conducted conducted himself on the pitch, off the pitch, even with charities and all this stuff. So he has been professional, but he's mm. he knows he's going to sign in Real Madrid after the season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, PSG, I think they're 13 points clear at the top of the league now. It's looking like the, the league earned title is pretty much sewn up for them, which means they can focus their energy, uh, a lot of their energy anyway, on the Champions League. Do you feel like they've got the momentum at the moment to beat Real Madrid in the Champions League and maybe go on to win the whole thing? Momentum on the pitch, yes, because they've had three wins on the bounce in the, in, in the league. But um, like psychologically, in terms of the mood around the club, um, the momentum is as low as it could be. There are rumblings that Pochettino is going to be sacked at the end of the season, no matter what happens. Um, um, There's obviously um, Mbappe, the whole Mbappe situation. Neymar is injured. You don't know if he's going to play or not. Messi is is still feeling his way around the club. Um, Sergio Ramos is injured again. So the morale around the club is not very positive. And to make matters worse, two days ago, the, the, the biggest fan group of PSG put out a statement saying that we don't agree with, this, with, the, with the strategy, the direction that the club has taken in terms of, you know, how people, the players are pampered, um, their, their opinion is not respected. So, yeah, I mean, all around, the morale around the club is just 
It just feels a bit off, to be honest. Yeah. I read that the Ultras were even complaining that they've been wearing the third kit too much this season and not the home kit. Exactly, yeah. And actually, I agree. Why would they wear the third kit (laughs) in in a capital cup game at home? Like, yeah, I can understand some of their grievances, honestly. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, as for Lille, they of course won the league last season, but they're 11th in the table at the moment. Has their title defence been seen as a, a big disappointment in France, or, or was their success under under Galtier always kind of unsustainable? It was unsustainable. I think it was a one-off, one-season wonder. I like to say. Um, I think it's a title hangover more than anything else. They also had to sell a lot of key players after the season because obviously the Corona pandemic hit them hard financially. So there was this overhaul, Galtier left. Um, so, I mean, and also key players are misfiring, like Yilmaz. Um, yeah. And their star player, Jonathan David, has said openly via his agent that he wants to leave at the end of the season. So, like, yeah, title hangover. I think it's a, re- a repeat of the Leicester scenario where, title, <laughs> yeah. you know, just things are all over the place. Yeah, I was thinking that, yeah. Uh, but one one positive for Lille is they have got Hatem Ben Arfa back and he, I thought he played pretty well in this game. He made his second appearance since joining uh, Lille against PSG. I was reading about him last week that he was he was training alone and playing five-a-side in Paris while he was looking for a new club. But do you, th- do you think he's done pretty well so far? Does he look, does he look sharper than expected, perhaps? Um, the thing with Benafa is you have to be careful because he's always amazing in his first game back. Always. <laughs> Everywhere he's been, he's always knocked everyone um, away with his first performances when he was at Bordeaux, yeah. um, when he was at Rennes, Nice, everywhere he goes. But then it's the, the afters that you have to be wary of. Um, how he's going to, like his behavior, how he's going to manage the pressure, how he's going to keep his um, consistency up. That's what you be what you what you what you should look out for. But um, yeah, he's been amazing. The assist he made was just um, wow. I, I was blown away. Um, he's a very good player. He's he's always going to be a good player because his talent is is timeless, frankly. But yeah, yeah, you just have to look out for the other things, the antics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I. If I'd known he was playing five-a-side to keep fit, I would have invited him to our uh, five-a-side game in, in Berlin. Yeah, you should have. I mean, yeah, and he's a terrific side-a-side five, five player, as you can imagine. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm sure he is. Uh, you're a Chelsea fan, of course. Uh, your boys have got Lille in the Champions League. Are you concerned at all about having to face them, or do you think it'll be quite easy for Chelsea? Um, I'm not concerned because of the opponent. I'm concerned because of Chelsea. Because I think Chelsea's biggest mm. enemy right now is Chelsea. The way they're playing, it's a bit worrying. Um like the game against Plymouth last weekend, um, I think compounded our, our troubles. You know, we have issues breaking breaking teams down. So I think that's maybe the worry. But if we if, we, if everyone is on song, I think it's going to be it's going to be easy for Chelsea to go through. But you have to be wary of you know how mm. Lukaku is going to obviously um, create chances. Lovana, I mean, yeah, everything everything is not right at Chelsea at the moment. So Lille has has a chance to do something. Something, something huge here. Mm. Just a quick word about uh, Hakim Ziyech, actually, because he's uh, announced his retirement from international football, hasn't he? He, d- he didn't play for Morocco at the AFCON. What, what's happened there? What's the story? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the many like um, storylines of the AFCON. Like Hakim Ziyech, even though he was not at the tournament, people were still talking about him. So he announced his retirement because obviously he's um, feuding with the president of the federation and also the, the national team mm. national team coach um, and he has, he has he's had enough basically um, this this Ziyech Morocco thing it never really took off um, because remember even before this coach came in Vahid 
with Ebe Renard, his his predecessor, he had issues too, and he, they had he he was he he was um, kept away from the squad for a while. So Ziyech is has a character, he has a temperament, he has kept it in check at Chelsea. But when it comes to the national team, he has been very very careless with the things he has said, the things he has done. So this is for the best. The fact that he has obviously decided to keep away from the national team, I think, is for the best. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the quick word to finish on Leon, who uh, of course sold Bruno Guimaraes and replaced him with Tangi Ndombele and Roman Favre at the end of January. Uh, they lost to Monaco on Saturday, that leaves them just eighth in the table. Do you think Peter Bosch is under a lot of pressure there at the moment? Yeah, he is in a lot, under a lot of pressure because Leon is one of the top top clubs in France. They should be competing for the title. They've made huge investments this winter and obviously in the summer as well. Um, yeah, he's under pressure. He has to turn this around quick because being eighth in the league for Lyon, like in the investors, the shareholders are going to be worried. And Olas is a, is like trying to keep this situation in check right now. But I think if these mm-hmm. results keep on going, he's going to get the sack. And we should we should be ashamed because I think Peter Bosz is a very good coach. He's shown it in the Bundesliga, yeah. but he just hasn't really got to grips with the rigors of the of the league, how to manage the squad, how to manage the young players. Joining me now in part two to discuss all things Bundesliga is Helga Voltman. Helga, welcome Hi. aboard. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm very fine, thank you. Great. Let's have your personal highlight of the week from German football then, please. Well, it is actually me missing some highlights because, uh, <laughs> you know, early bird and everything, and I was not. Um, I got, like, I wanted to watch the the top game of the Zweite Bundesliga there with uh, Darmstadt against um, against Hamburg for everybody who's not watching the second Bundesliga. It's and if you're crime. not, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, it's a crime, but um, <laughs> it is the, the first against the fifth. They were separated by, I think, like uh, four points or something like that, or maybe, maybe it is five, or it was five. But I was like 15 minutes late starting to watch it and uh, just turned it on. It was like 3-0 for, for Hamburg. Right? And I was like, <laughs> Like almost falling out of my chair, I was like, "What the hell is going on?" Like you know, don't expect it in that game. And then like a second after, um, like on the top left, like there was because I was only watching one game, but they showed the result of the other game that was going on, which was Dresden against Hansa, and it was like the fourth goal of Hansa, like four zero after fifteen minutes. And I was like, "Okay, like I've just completely missed it all. I can just <laughs> go back to sleep." This this is about it. But yeah, that's that's like the second second league in Germany in a nutshell. For you, so that's yeah, like my personal highlight and it finished 5-0 didn't it that Hamburg Darmstadt game uh, Hamburg 5-0 and uh, Hansa conceded another goal in the end like it was a 4-1 but yeah fun stuff yeah, well, we're going to talk some more Zweite Bundesliga a little bit later on. But for now, there were two massive games in terms of the top division title race in the Bundesliga at the weekend. Bayern Munich beat RB Leipzig 3-2 on Saturday before Dortmund were hammered 5-1 by Leverkusen on Sunday. Is that the end of the title race as we know it, Helga? Uh, I think it's the continuance of all the title races we have <laughs> known in the last 10 years. It's uh, Dortmund basically faltering in a, in a big game uh, or, you know, also against small opponents, but you know, in the important games, they, they just uh, can't seem to get it together. Whereas Leipzig was uh, meeting the end that all the supposed titled contenders uh, meet when they are uh, mm. facing Bayern, which is a loss and subsequently no chance in, in <laughs> the title race anymore. Yeah. 
So do we need a, a playoff system, as, as has been talked about in, in the past couple of days, to, to make the, the, the title race more interesting in Germany? Is that going to work? I do not think so for, like, I think it would devalue a little bit, like, the, the end of the rest like, of, the, of the regular season a little bit, because um, if Bayern is, like, gone, like, they can rest their players for the playoffs, uh, their players for the playoffs a little bit. Um, mm. And also... I doubt that it would lead to massively different results unless you have um, you have a, a one-game knockout stage in the playoffs, basically, like we have in the Cup. But if you have a home and an away game, for example, I don't think that Bayern is going to lose two games against any of those opponents. So like they, they just you know, would go through most of the time either way. Yeah, yeah. I've never been on board with that playoff stuff that they have in American sports and they have it in, in rugby as well. And it just doesn't seem right to me that you could not finish top of the table and be declared champions. Surely the, the league table is the ultimate barometer of how good a team is. It's definitely more fair in the end like mm. when it comes to um, who is showing the, the best results over a year. Yes, like, I mean, it is like... I get why they, they have that idea of like, oh, we might change the champion in the end of the season and then maybe the fourth becomes the first. And, you know, but I don't know. Like, overall, everybody would still know that Bayern is actually the best team in the league. So, <laughs> like, what's, yeah. what's really achieving? Like, if, they, if, exactly. they're like, if they're ahead, like, by 15 points after 34 match days and then you just add some players at, at the end, it's like, well, yeah, like, you get to take the title away from them. But in the end, we all know that they were the best team of the year. Well, that leads me nicely on to my next question because Bayern are clearly the best team in Germany. They have been for some time. Should Dortmund therefore be expected to compete with Bayern for the title? Is there any possibility of them winning it anytime soon? I think one could expect them to do a little bit better in, uh, in competing because they, they are clearly, they've made mistakes in the past. They, they have their issues of, um, of, as I said, like faltering in the important games. On the other hand, the difference is is in between Bayern and Dortmund is just too much. Like to expect them to to be uh, the like like on fifty fifty basis with them like on on, on the uh, championship decisions. I, I think that's just impossible. Like if you look at the the wage difference in between them, which was um, we had the the recent numbers from I think the UEFA was they they published their report uh, that was like from this. It's like the season before the last one, so a, a while back, but still, like it, it shows that mm. they had 100 million more just on on player wages than Dortmund. And I mean, that's probably like we don't know the exact numbers on wages, but three to four Lewandowski's, which definitely makes a difference there. Yeah. So it's very hard for them to to be competing like on a normal, you know, 10 year span. Bayern should be expected with that, with those circumstances, to win the league. I don't know, seven, eight out of 10 times. It's just that Dortmund is not yeah. managing to actually make you believe that they could win it two or three times out of those 10. Yeah. With that in mind, then, why do you suppose Nicolas Zula has chosen to join Dortmund when he leaves Bayern on a free transfer in the summer? I think we know why he's leaving Bayern, but why Dortmund? Why why not go to Chelsea or somewhere else in, in Europe? So from <clears throat> from what he said, it is that he felt uh, that he had the trust as a footballer and as a human being from the from the Dortmund officials and that they made him feel very welcome in the club. They also uh, reportedly offered him uh, a bunch of money, even more than he's earning uh, 
reportedly now at Bayern. So like he's rumored to now have uh, between 10 and 12 million uh, earning there. Um, whereas at Bayern so far, he was earning reportedly 8 million euros. So like he's, he's getting more money. Um, so Dortmund is actually stretching quite, quite far to get him financially. Uh, the good thing for them is that um, uh, Axel Witzel is apparently, from what I've read, on a, on a similar deal. So he's leaving in, in the summer. So they kind of balance the budget on that. So, you know, like financial, financially, he's, he's doing well there. Also, there were reports from from Kika saying, I think it was Kika, no, Sport 1, who was saying um, that he did not get the offers that he wanted from, from international mm. clubs. It was apparently that, that Chelsea was hesitant. Um, that, that there wasn't any contact anymore in the last uh, months or weeks. There was uh, that uh, Barcelona was still kind of like figuring everything out that he didn't know. Uh, apparently he had the offer from, from Newcastle, which obviously does have uh, a little bit of money, but um, <laughs> they, you know, they, he, he, even if they may manage to stay in the league, he, he did, wouldn't want to, you know, play for a team that is not in the Champions League. So internationally, it seemed well, it seems like it didn't pan out for him. And so uh, if he stays in the Bundesliga, obviously Dortmund would be the next best choice, especially if he also has like a financial offer that, that is really working for him. Mm. I like how liberally you use the word reportedly there. Yeah, you really don't want to get sued. <laughs> if there's any lawyers listening, you have to get up early in the morning to catch Helga out. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just allegedly like I put that in every like before before anything I say yeah. from now on. Well, I'm going to use it now because Kicker reportedly uh, said that Zula came back from Christmas four kilograms overweight, and Bayern are a little bit concerned about his attitude and basically aren't bothered that he's leaving. Do you think that's true, or do you think that's a little bit of spin from Bayern? From my from my side, I, I definitely think it's it's a little bit of a spin from from Bayern to have it come out now, like that that part of it. Um, that he might have come back overweight that that is not necessarily a surprise looking at uh past comments from from Bayern coaches for example uh Jupankis recently um like a, in the summer i think last summer it was uh was like he was coaching him from uh, 2017 to 2018 he was saying he could be like one of the best center backs in the world if he had a more professional lifestyle he himself before going to Bayern has said that he um really cut down his fast food intake from like daily to twice a week and and that he still is work he li- <laughs> like that's something i can actually but like it's not reportedly he's quoted on, on saying that um no but uh, daily fast food even i don't eat daily fast food <laughs> Apparently, they, I'm not professional. Apparently, he cut it down though. <laughs> twice a week, he was very proud of that in like 2017 when he oh. was going to Bayern. But uh, so it, it wouldn't be a, a massive surprise if um, if he had some troubles there. He like he said mostly like his problem is that he likes the uh, sodas that he likes um, like a mix of of Coca Cola and, and Fanta. You know, like kind of. And mix that together, and like, that he if, he if he cuts down on that, he's like down two three kilos already. Like if he only drinks water, so he's having some problems in that area, uh, at least in the past. If it's still the case, nobody quite knows. He had uh, a time uh, like a year ago, and in, in November, uh, like almost like one and a half years ago, then um, that he. Um, was coming back from a false positive corona test, um, then immediately went to the national team where uh, they don't train as hard as, as Flick put it back then. And he had to skip a couple of games uh, 
until he had his fitness back. So, um, right. I don't know if that was an overweight thing. It was rumored by Bill that it was that. Um, but you know, they, in the past, it has been it has been mentioned plenty of times. Right. Right. Interesting. I mean, to be honest, I quite like a relatable footballer in this day and age. You know, when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo refusing to eat dessert <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, it's quite nice. This guy drinking his Coke and Fanta mix on the uh, on the, in yeah, the dressing room. They, Good we, for him. You know, like we also have that with Max Cousy. Like if you if you can bring your your um, like if you if your performances are good, like if you can if you can bring it on the field, then I think it's fine if you do so if it's in a certain limit. But well, we'll we'll, we'll see how it turns out for for Dortmund. Wouldn't be sadly the first signing yeah. that they've made with a with a nice. Big name, big big salary, where it then doesn't pan out in the last couple of years. But yeah, like let's let's hope for the best so that it's maybe a little bit more exciting in the league. Yeah, well, I mean, Zula seems to solve a lot of Dortmund's problems, but do you think they are also going to have a, a bit of difficulty keeping hold of Manuel Akanji this summer? There's some talk that he might be attracting the interest of Manchester United, I believe. Yeah, it seems like like he could be leaving. Um, as I said, like they they at least managed to like kind of like. Uh, balance their budget in, in the terms of uh, Zuda coming in with leaving it seems so financially they should be probably able to to make a Kanji a good offer who has his contract expiring in one and a half years like in one and a half seasons um, so if they if they can't manage to keep him I think they're going to get a pretty good uh, deal on him because he's, he's been playing really well this season um, they are rumored to uh, try for Nico Schlotterbeck, who's a young center back at uh, Freiburg, who's also become a uh, German uh, international player now. Um, so they might have to to rebuild their defense uh, in the center backs. Maybe even like, to be honest, like it looks like they could overhaul the whole defense in, in the summer because they're also linked now by I think Rheinische Post. It was they're linked to. Um, to Nusaya uh, Mazraoui from from Ajax, you know, on a free transfer, he could come in as a right back. Where they have Meunier, but he's better this season. But like, he's not exactly maybe what they what they were looking for in him. And to be honest, on left back, they they have Nico Schulz, who was not working as they planned. Um, they have Guerrero, who's great offensively, but has his struggles defensively. That he's a little bit too offensive-minded. So they might actually replace all, all of their back four if Akanji actually is leaving. Wow, wow. Uh, well, that's enough about Dortmund. Let's talk a little bit about Leverkusen, who are excellent in this game. Uh, would you say they are definitively the third best team in Germany this season? Uh, this season, yes, because um, I would put them from individual, you know, quality of the players and and also like from potential. Um, on an equal footing with Leipzig at the moment, um, but they've had their their struggles with the with the first coach that they they um, replaced Nagelsmann, but not working out. But uh, Leverkusen is real; like they're looking really really nicely. They had this slump uh, in the first half of the season, at, uh, like over like four or five games where they uh, really were were not performing very well. Might have been a little bit like this struggle as well, like on, on playing you know like with the Europa League at the same time. Um, but overall, like, they they look. Um, amazing on, on transitions when they when they're attacking they have such fast plays but also like technically well adept players you know like with Wirtz and Diaby who can who can attack on the right day Belarabi who's like maybe a little underrated internationally um and just overall like then shake a great target minute up front where they they have someone who at this season at least like guarantees uh, a lot of goals so they they are looking really really good 
they sure are. And, and Leipzig as well, you mentioned them there. I thought they gave a pretty good account of themselves in that defeat against Bayern. A little bit unlucky, would you say? Yeah, if, if uh, Daniel Emel was a prolific goal scorer, they might have, they might have gotten <laughs> a point there because he, like, he missed like three chances at the beginning. Um, mm. But like overall, like they could have taken a point. Uh, but it's as I mentioned earlier, like it's kind of like the, the typical, t- the typical game from any top club of the Bundesliga against Bayern. It's like you you see that they have a chance uh, unless they get thrashed. But like ob- like often it's a it's a it's a competitive game where Bayern is also like showing some some recently at least some some problems defensively but then their attack is just so good mm. that uh they they overcome their opponents still even maybe conceding a goal or two yeah yeah well the race for fourth spot in the Bundesliga remains fascinating Union Berlin are still fourth uh, Freiburg are still fifth but Köln are creeping up in sixth place a lot of people will have seen that great footage of Köln coach Stefan Baumgart going crazy in his living room during their their 1-0 win over Freiburg on Saturday (laughs) Uh, can you explain the story behind that for us please Uh, I can I can certainly try Um, so he he had his um, he had a, a positive corona test he uh Luckily, as much as I understood, did not have any symptoms, but definitely then obviously we had to had to quarantine, so he couldn't be at the game. Uh, it seemed uh, like his family they that they positioned a camera there to kind of uh, you know film him during the game. Uh, very important game uh, for them uh, because, as you mentioned, Freiburg is also in the in the race there for the European spots, um, and. Baumgart is very much known for being an emotional coach. Like he's he's on the sidelines, always running, always yelling. He once said, "Like the game isn't over until I stop yelling." Like he's 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 really like known for for this. Like when it's like, I think you had that recently as well in in, in uh, the UK over there. That like um, he's known for like not wearing a jacket, even it's like minus something degrees. Right. You know, like just like so it's like no, I'm I'm like, I need. I need space to move. I can't be constricted. Like I, like I don't feel the cold at that moment. Um, so he was filmed at home and he just looked exactly like he would look on the side of the pitch when there's like, I don't know, 10,000, 30,000 people around him yelling and he's just like uh, fired up. He looked exactly like that at home and his dog had to kind of like try to calm him down kind of like, and I came, came from the, from the back and like, like put his paws on his shoulders kind of like, no, no, like it's, let's calm down. It was, it was really funny to see like really. Yeah. Weren't one of the, um, the Cologne newspapers giving away like cut out uh, Baumgart masks that you could wear to the stadium on the day of the game as well? I think they did. Yeah. He's like, it's, yeah. It, it is quite the, you know, the um, hype around his personality because also he took, Cologne that like they were in the relegation playoffs last season and um like everybody was counting for them to be in the in the relegation you know uh battle again this season mm. <clears throat> but he took them and and he has like the the really interesting thing about him is that he has this um like coaching or like the the tactical philosophy of of always trying to to be an attacking team and he, he brought that in when he was uh, getting promoted with Paderborn he tried to keep them in the league with that didn't manage to but he he always kept his belief in in the fact that you are more likely to win if you were playing attacking football than just sitting deep mm-hmm. and, and trying to counter attack and he took that to Cologne as well where everybody's saying oh he needs like to really renew the the whole team and like they get no, uh, different players in uh, and Instead of you know doing that, he basically took the team that was there, instilled a new belief in them, 
had them um, be more attacking or attack minded and he's now very successful again with it and like bringing them mm. now to the to the European possibility of playing uh, the, one of the European Cups. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, could, could they sneak into the Champions League? And are you surprised that, you know, one of those players that's that's really performing for them is 33-year-old Anthony Modeste. He's the fourth highest scorer in the Bundesliga this season with 14 goals. I kind of thought that he'd peaked about five years ago when he went to China <laughs> and he's still he's still going strong somehow. Uh, yeah, I thought so too. Like we, he, he before this season, like nobody thought he was he was gonna be a major player for them. He he seemed a little bit like washed up, old. I think I don't know if it was Baumgart saying it or if it was just a, an article about it. But that um, apparently they they met before this season. Baumgart looked at him and like like you're not finished. Like do you? Like, well, you have the choice now. Like, like do you want to be like done with your career? Want to go somewhere where you don't need to to work hard anymore and you know like um just kind of like let your career falter out a little bit for the next couple of years mm-hmm. or do you want to do like put in the effort do the work and and give it another try and like i think it's really for for modest it's also nice for him to to have this new philosophy there because i think he's the the goal scorer with most headers like the, the most um like goal scored with his head yeah uh, in the league and and it's because he's getting the balls now in, in in the box, like the the crosses, the the passes, and um, he can just like 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 play to his uh, strength there in the, in the box for for Cologne. Yeah, uh, but to the I remember thing, when. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, question. I was, was going to say when, when our, uh, our 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 CEO uh, Lucas is a big Cologne fan, of course. Uh, when they got into the Europa League a few years ago, I remember he threw a big party for us all. So imagine what's going to happen if they get into the Champions League. <laughs> it, will, it will be amazing. He's gonna he's gonna fly us to to wherever they play, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I after that, like I do not think they were going to get there. I think Leipzig is is now picking up with their new coach. Like they're they're more and more consistent. So I think they're going to overtake. Mm-hmm. The others there and, and become fourth. It would otherwise be be like very surprising. Um, but Cologne is definitely challenging for uh, for the Euro- like Europa League maybe because like Gladbach is really struggling this season uh, and Freiburg seems to be like faltering out a little bit. Like they they're like a little. Like the last couple of games have not been as as successful for them. So mm-hmm. like yeah, they definitely have a, have a shot there for the for the Europa Good League. Good luck to. Good luck to him, yeah. At the other end of the table, uh, Wolfsburg got a much-needed three points when they beat Greuther Firth 4-1. Uh, they sold Wout Weghorst to, to Burnley, but they've got Max Kruse back, as you mentioned. He joined them from, from Union Berlin late in the window. Do you think he could be the man to steer them away from relegation? Yes, like a, a clear yes. <laughs> like, it is already amazing how much he's, he's turned the, the team around within um, one game. And... and we can always be like, no, it's like a, maybe a morale boost. But no, you, you see how much he's involved in the game because he's not really your typical striker. And he's played for for my team, my my favorite team, uh, a while back with the same coach actually that that he is playing at, at mm. Wolfsburg with Florian Kohfeldt. Um, and you you could already like he's falling back um, and not just staying up front as as you know Vekost for example um, is uh, like would do. So he's more of a playmaker. He's also said that like, he would like to get the number 10 jersey in the summer if it's possible because he sees himself more as a like a playmaker and and um so he's super involved in the build-up game he organizes pressing for your team that kind of like in a thomas Müller way if, if people maybe saw that in the champions league more like where it's like the 
when is it time to to play aggressive pressing? When is it time to fall back? He's organizing his his, um, his fellow uh, you know teammates how to like, make the runs, but he's always asking for the ball. He's always um, having a solution when he gets it. He gives you such a sense of security and build up that that you could really see that that uh, Wolfsburg team was was much much better. Obviously, it has only been against uh, Greuterfurt, so. We will see how it works against a stronger opponent, but uh, overall, um, it is it is definitely uh, for me. He's going to be the key for them to 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 not be relegated at all. I see them somewhere now, like like moving up to midfield yeah. somewhere, like I don't know, tenth, eleventh, somewhere there. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned your uh, your favorite team, so I guess that's a good good time to to get on to Werder Bremen, who are, of <laughs> course, uh, they were relegated last season. They're down there in the Zweite Bundesliga. How are you enjoying uh, this their season down in the second tier? It, it's it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> Not gonna lie, like, the beginning has been has been awful in terms like in terms of results because they had to more or less rebuild the team and they didn't know which players to sell because they needed to reach 30 million euros in uh, transfer profits before being able to actually you know like pay money for other players or like you know or whatever they pay for players would you know be deducted from those 30 million that they would still need mm-hmm. um so they they were basically every every player was up for sale until the 31st of August. Um, so this was really not helpful for whatever preparation you wanted to do for the team. The results were were really bumpy. Like, you know, would, they would win a 3-0 against Hansa Rostock and Ingolstadt. Then they would be thrashed. I think it was 4-1 or 4-0 by, by Paderborn. It was, it was really, really terrible. Like, they ended up, I think, after 17 match days, somewhere 9th or 10th in the, in the league. Um, then... Uh, you know, when you think the most horrible stuff has already happened, like then your coach comes around, fakes fakes <laughs> his vaccine documents. Oh God, yeah, gets fired. Forgot about that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> all of that happened as well. Like in the end, it, it turned out to be like a, a blessing in disguise because it, he was like Bremen was already like a bit more consistent towards the the middle of the season, but like there was still like problems with tactically like they were a little bit too easy to 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 read and like didn't really have a plan b they got in a new coach uh Oliviana, who um was uh coaching uh kiel and, and just uh barely um not making the promotion you know because they had a lot of COVID cases at the end and then they had to play the relegation playoffs uh last because they were having i think i don't know six seven games in the, the span of like three or two weeks, I don't know. Like they, they, every every three days they had to play basically for for mm. a couple of games, uh, and then he decided like to leave that team. So now he's there, uh, and this has been such a, a a good turnaround for the club because uh, I don't know. Like he just started winning for like tactically, it's also better. He kind of kept the same system, but uh, there's more variety in the attacks. But um, also, of course, there's some luck involved, but uh, he's won six out of his uh, first six games, uh, brought us back oh. to uh, third place. Um, and yeah, now, now we actually, like Werder Bremen actually has like, a very competitive chance of, of you know, trying to make it 
uh, back to the first league. Yeah, well, the, the race for promotion is looking pretty hot. Bremen are involved, St. Pauli are involved, Hamburg involved, Schalke are involved, Darmstadt are top of the table, as we mentioned earlier. Who's going to go up, do you think? Uh, Heidenheim is there as well, you know, like oh, yeah. uh, same amount of points as, as Hamburg and Schalke. Um, <clears throat> and they have a coach that has been there for like 14 years, so like they, they are really, uh, you know, like they, they are like consistent in their in their uh, leadership of the club. Um I I think like it's definitely like you know too close to call kind of in the in the sense that anything could happen which is the the lovely part of the of that league. Mm. Um I definitely I I'm, I am going to make a prediction no worries like I'm not going to cop out <laughs> of this. Um I think that Hamburg and Schalke are going to make it um because they've found their groove a little bit. They were struggling also at the beginning of the season a little bit with new coaches or like new coach for Hamburg and Schalke also had to rebuild the squad. Um, and they, 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 you know, they they found the groove a little bit more, and they they have the quality players to stay there. St. Pauli seems to be struggling a little bit, Darmstadt as well. Bremen is really tough for me to say because um, even winning these six games in a row, if we lose one of the next ones, we're already behind again, and we need to start the next kind of like series of wins. Um, if they manage to win the next two games, which is against uh, Hansa Rostock and Ingolstadt, who are um, as like bottom half teams, then they're gonna have the big derby against Hamburg, which is probably gonna be um, like one of the decisive moments of this season, because like whoever wins that is, is definitely gonna have a have an advantage. Um, yeah. So it's it's really close. So, but uh, before the season, I had uh, Werder Bremen, Hamburg, and Schalke. So it's just like the, the easy, you know, the easy tip. So yeah. I'm just gonna stick with that. <laughs> And, and hope for the for the big three to go back to the first league because it would also be very nice for the Bundesliga to have them back. Yeah, two points separating top of the table and sixth of the table. That is the best league in the world, isn't it, basically? It is, easily. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me now for the third and final part to talk all things La Liga is Manu Dominguez. Hi Dan, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for joining. Uh, let's have your, your personal highlight of the week from Spanish football, please. Ooh, actually, I'm between between two options. First first, first of them, it would be like Dani Alves being back, you know. <laughs> yeah, he did yes. an incredible performance against Atletico, 38 years old. And actually, you know, at the end was a little bit get dirty because of his red car. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, it's it's always nice to have like a, a legend like, like that. Dani Alves back, it make make me to feel like not so old, not so old you know, to have yeah. him still playing. I think like, okay, I'm still in 2009, 2010. <laughs> and it was like a, a super performance. And then also I would like to point out about the Copa del Rey semifinals that they were played this week. Because, you know, to see one Copa del Rey without Real Madrid, Atletico and Barcelona, it give us uh, the option to to actually realize what a good movement was from from Rubiales from the Spanish Federation to change the format to do this kind of knock knockout tournament till till semi-finals like similar to FA Cup that mm-hmm. allow teams like for example Rayo Vallecano to to have the option to to be fighting for for a place in the final. Yeah, it's looking good that tournament. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. We'll talk a bit about Barcelona and Atletico Madrid in a minute as well. I just want to get uh, first the reaction in Spain to this news that Barcelona are going to be renaming their state Stadium to Spotify camp now, is that right? Yeah, actually, it's what the people they are talking about at the beginning was more uh, the option, to, o sea, the option about to be sponsoring the, the shirt. They start to talk about about the naming, even the possibility that to use the naming, but not, o sea, but some parts of the stadium. But at the end, it looks like the idea that Spotify is going to be able to 
to have his name during the time that the, the Camp Nou is going to be rebuilt. That's an important point. Mm. It's going to be, the Camp Nou is going to be rebuilt theoretically till 2024, 2025. Even Barcelona maybe had to be, have to look for another stadium to, to play their matches. And during that time, there is the possibility that the Spotify get, get the name just, you know, in all of the news when they are talking about the new stadium, that it's not going to be new. It's going to be only a, a, a small changes there. To, to, to be a Spotify and then the option to extend the contract. And actually, you know, I have to say that in Barcelona, everyone has been a little bit skeptical about to change the name of the stadium. Even, I don't know if you remember, Barcelona was one of the last teams to put actually sponsoring the, in their jersey. Yes, and, and now about the stadium, that's true that people, they wouldn't prefer to keep can no, but in case that, you know, knowing the economical situation that Barcelona is suffering right now, if you have to do something like that, at least doing it with a company like Spotify and maybe not go with other companies related, for example, to crypto or to gaming or, for example, yeah, let us say Qatar or Abu Dhabi, I think it's a kind of good move within the, the bad idea to, at the end, you know, to sell one of your historical uh, assets like is the name of your stadium. Yeah, I guess no one's actually going to call it Spotify Camp Nou, are they? Yeah, I have read like Spotify Camp Nou, also Camp Nou Spotify. Let's see. Let's see. I mean, me as a 30 years old guy, it sounds amazingly. I mean, I used to use <laughs> Spotify always, so I don't think so. it would be like a, like a big shock. And then if the team, they can get like 60, 70 uh, millions per year, I think it's going to be a, a really yeah. uh, good uh, revenue for, for the team. Yeah, I guess this means Neil Young and Johnny Mitchell are never going to play a concert in Barcelona now, though, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. All right, let's begin with that uh, that extraordinary game at Camp Nou on Sunday, which finished Barcelona 4, Atletico Madrid 2. Are Barcelona back? Well, I would love to say yes. I mean, <laughs> Barcelona played incredibly good the first 60 minutes. And that's true that since Xavi joined Barcelona, of course, there have been like some matches that Barcelona didn't show anything. For example, the last one in, in Vitoria against, against Alaves. But in all of the other matches, especially against big teams, like for example, Sevilla, Real Madrid and Supercopa, you could say that Xavi was bringing something new. And I think that an Atlético de Madrid was probably the... I mean, probably no. I'm sure that it was like the best Barcelona's match till till uh, during this season. I mean, you could see the the idea about Adama open the field, how he used Dani Alves mm. doing kind of of Cancelo Cancelo style. That's something that we are gonna talk 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 later. And and to know if Barcelona is back, I mean, it's difficult to to know. But that's true. That probably the, the thing that it was lacking the most on Barcelona was to be really close to the goal and right now with this uh, transfer market in January bringing players like for example Ferran Torres or even Aubameyang I think that Barcelona is, is getting this this option to actually to, to transform the the, 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 the the chances close to the goal and then for example for me it's really important to talk about Pedri at the end mm. it's, it's not possible to understand a Barcelona with Pedri and without Pedri I think that since he came back in, in Supercopa the way that he's like getting the ball and giving the pass, always seeing an advantage for the teams, you know, he's giving really a lot of um, con continuity to the game, you know, he's, he's playing super um, with the flow, I mean, he's, he's bringing the game with, with, with his flow, I think it's like something super important for Barcelona, and let's see, I think that Xavi needs at least one month or at least two months that players like Busquets, De Jong, Xavi, Gabi, Ferran... It's uh, unfortunately no no Ansu Fati. They have like the option to be like recurrent on the team. They don't get injuries, 
and then Xavi is going to be able to build at least an interest way of, of, of playing football. Yeah, it's funny when you, when you list the players like that, you think this crisis at Barcelona, it's not so bad after all, is it really? They've, they have got some incredible players in that squad. One of them is 38-year-old Dani Alves, as you mentioned. He became the first player to score, assist and be sent off in the same La Liga match. Uh, he was probably the best player on the pitch for my money. He was sensational, wasn't he? Have you, have you been surprised by, by his level at, at this point in his career? Uh, actually... I mean, it's not that I have been surprised. The thing is, like, I knew that Xavi was going to need to build something around Alves to protect Alves. Of course, Alves has never been the best defender in the world. Even when he was, like, in his peak mm. uh, defensively, he was always having, like, some shadows, you know, because he was, like, a really offensive player. And, and you know, in, in his back, he was always being an issue. Imagine right now with 38 years old. So I could imagine that Xavi was going to build something to protect him around him. And, and that's what he showed. Uh, in, in the first important match against Atletico de Madrid. It was really interesting to see how Adama Traoré was open the field in the right, how Araujo, even with the ball, was trying to be open and giving the Alves to play like kind of midfield. Mm. Not only not with Sergio Busquets, but most with Frankie de Jong. They were doing like a kind of shooter, giving the option to Busquets to be a little bit higher. So when Barcelona was losing the ball, Busquets was the first one in order to 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 to, to promote this this high pressure. Mm. And I mean, everyone knows that Dani Alves with ball and, and, and understanding this tactical, this position gaming that Barcelona used to do, he's one of the best ones and, and he, he showed it. I miss maybe a little bit in the first half to, to take some risk with the ball, but in my opinion, he did incredibly good. He was super sure and he was giving also the chance to Frankie de Jong to be even more Frankie de Jong. I think that everything that happened around Dani Alves was super positive for Barcelona. And even in the second half, he had also the possibility to go close to the goal and, and to score and to, to score the, the fourth, even the assist with, to Jordi Alba in the first one. Yeah, he was super good. It was a pity that red card he's going to miss yeah. now two important matches against against Española, against Valencia, both, uh, both away, really two teams that they are performing super well, against Española is a derby, and it's going to be a big miss for, for Xavi, that also he has not included him in the Europa League uh, squad, and let's see how right now with Sergio Dez, which is a completely different player, uh, how can Xavi manage this, this situation in the right back. Mm. Do you think they might regret leaving him out of the Europa League squad? To be honest... Uh, I didn't like when, that he was uh, out of the team. That's true that Adama can bring you more things, probably. I, mean, I think that Alba and Ferran, they are necessary, especially without Ansu Fati. If, if Ansu Fati had been in the team, maybe Aubameyang could be like, the option to be to be out of the team. But then I think that you could have like players... I mean, it's difficult to say right now because Adama did an incredible match as well, you know. But I th hmm. think that Alves, the way of he understands the competition, how yeah, the, the intensity that he brings to the team, what he offers to the dressing room. I mean, it was a tough decision, but I mean... Let, let's trust Xavi he's the one who knows and, and we will see what happens against Napoli yeah yeah yeah. Adamo, Adamo Troyer was really good here as you mentioned um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang came off the bench in the second half as well how do you think they did particularly Aubameyang actually how does he look um, since joining the club yeah Aubameyang had the issue that yeah after the red card that Alves got Barcelona was not able to really uh, play offensively even play with the ball I mean he touched two, three balls that you could see that he knows what is he doing. I mean, a really big mm. difference one, for example, with all of my respects, players like Bradweight or Luke De Jong, they, they have to try to give continuity to the, to the game. It's, it's totally different. It's like a, a, another level of, of player. But we couldn't see actually Obama 
really going to the space or, or, or creating some chances. I think we are gonna we are gonna have a lot of a lot of time. But I mean the first the first impression was was quite okay. Let's see what is gonna happen with him. I mean you know better than me Obama Young. After he signed <laughs> his amazing contract with Arsenal he's 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 top shining and, and right now he has six months that I think that he's gonna perform well. But let's see let's see how he's gonna how he's gonna manage it also because it's one one year and a half contract. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure that he's gonna he's gonna be a, a really good signing for Barcelona. But but I mean, being o sea, taking a look what was in the contract, and taking a look that the need of Barcelona to sign someone that can offer like goals and assists and assists. I mm -hmm. think for that money, because at the end goals for free was the best option that Barcelona could could bring. Yeah. It's a good option to have, definitely. Um, what did you think of, of Gavi's performance in this game? Because he was playing really high up the pitch at one point, up in, up in the front three. Is is that his his position for, for going forward? Do you think, or or is he going to be brought back and and is he looked at as the kind of heir to Sergio Busquets in midfield ultimately? Mm, I would say that he's more similar to Pedri than Busquets, but that's true. That for example, what Xavi tried to do with him, it was something that also uh, many times. Uh, Fran Rijkaard especially, and also sometimes Guardiola, but especially Fran Rijkaard tried to to do with with Andres Iniesta playing in this in this position. It's like okay, we know that he's not a play, a, a winger, but he's a, a guy who playing from there can came to the middle and can bring you this superiority with the ball because he really knows how to find the spaces between between lines. And actually, it's what he did. That actually is another thing that Pedri does does super well, and and he did. Perfectly. I mean, he was like a, a really a, a big a big issue for for Simeone. Not only because he's he scores a goal. I think that with his age, it's unbelievable how he understand understand the game. Barcelona has a, a super luck to have a players like him and, and Pedri. Yeah. And I don't think so. He's gonna stay forever in that position. But knowing that, for example, we don't have Ansufati, I think that maybe and, and you know taking a look in the squad with players like. Pedri Busquets and Frankie de Jong, and in my opinion, they are also super important. I think that it could be like a, a, a good option for for Xavi to use him there as a let us say like false winger, just came into the middle and then create like this kind of uh, fourth line, fourth players line with Busquets, de Jong, Pedri, and Gabi, just to try to control the control the ball. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As for Atletico, uh, a lot of people were saying their win over Valencia a couple of weeks ago could be a turning point. Uh, we discussed it on this podcast, in fact. Uh, this was another disappointing result for them, though, wasn't it, in what has been a, a very disappointing season? Yeah, and especially it was very disappointing the performance itself because i mean you could you could expect mm. uh, you could expect atletico madrid winning or losing that of course but what you cannot expect is to have a Simeone's team that actually is bringing less intensity than the than the opponent you know at the end Simeone's team was always like giving 100% they were like kind of beating the rival with the ball really good pressure and against barcelona the first 60 minutes was super poor super poor because also i mean let's say that barcelona is not the the team who is bringing the most intensity to the game, you know, and I expected yeah this Atlético de Madrid came to do like a, a really good pressure without the ball, but not at all. I think that playing with Luis Suarez and Joao Félix at the end gives you one team with only nine players, well, eight players, and the goalkeeper eight players at the end working in, in the defense, mm. and and till Correa and especially Cunha entering in the second half. I think the, the 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 performance of Atletico was was super bad and and to be honest I don't know what is happening there because it's super unusual a uh, Simeone's team having this 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 yeah poor performance in in one competition like like La Liga I, I expected to Atletico de Madrid recover at one point but now I'm not so sure and to be honest 
this season probably in La Liga the, the fourth position is, is let's say super expensive we used to say in Spain you know it's like yeah. it's not really easy at all to get to this spot in the Champions League positions yeah yeah well they've conceded at least two goals in each of their last five matches now it's weird how a, a Diego Simeone team has become so poor defensively isn't it yeah totally I think that the level of the of so many individual players is super super far away that they show like last year starting from from Felipe and, and Hermoso uh, if you see every every Atletico de Madrid match, you realize that these two players they are be probably one of the two worst defense in, in La Liga. And for example, Felipe two years ago and especially Hermoso last year, they were like performing super well. And then the other thing is especially that Jan Oblak is not is not saying that Jan Oblak is in a is like a poor level. Even for example, mm. I wanna put put in that box also Ter Stegen. I don't think so that they are like uh, offering a poor level, but that's true that they are not doing miracles, let's say, you know. It's like uh, last season, two seasons ago, every chance that Atletico de Madrid were conceding at the beginning, it was always blocked by, by Jan Oblak, and at the end, it's not a goal, but it's almost a goal. He was bringing so many points to Atletico de Madrid yeah. because he was able to, to stop and to and to to get that that breath to the team when they were suffering and this year I have that feeling that okay Oblak is saving what he has to save but those Oblak saves that they were like actually giving points to the team they 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 have disappeared and it's like a very big issue for for a team at the end for me let me say that it's the biggest difference right now in between Real Madrid and Atletico de Madrid in Barcelona at the end the goals with Courtois from one side. Uh, Ter Stegen and Oblak from the other side and with Benzema and Vinicius in one side and the strikers from Atletico and Barcelona not able to concede the goals because at the end talking about the way of performing I don't think so there is like a big difference between what Real Madrid is doing and what Barcelona and Atletico de Madrid are doing Yeah yeah Oblak definitely looks a bit more human this season doesn't he <laughs> um, that, that race for the, the Champions League spots as you said it's looking very interesting very expensive uh, especially after Villarreal's 2-0 win at Betis uh, considering they lost Gerard Moreno to injury in that game that's a pretty huge win for them isn't it Yeah that's a super huge win for Villarreal that it's performing super well since the start of, of 2022 Honestly, I think that at the start of the season, Villarreal was performing well, but the results were not with them. I mean, they, they, they deserve more points than actually they had in the in the table. And I think that Villarreal is a really huge uh, competitor to get this, this position in Champions League, especially after bringing a player like, like Giovanni Lo Celso. And because mm. even if he's not really well considered in, in, in England, I think that Unai Emery is one of the best coaches in, in, in La Liga. Uh, however... As you mentioned, Gerard Moreno is super important in that team and this season it's already many match days that he's not able to play because of injuries, which brings even more, let's say, uh, more credit to what Unai Emery is doing without Gerard Moreno. And, and I think that that actually teams like Villarreal, in my opinion, is one of the favorites to, 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 to fight for the top four. I'm not really sure about Real Sociedad because I already know what happened with Real Sociedad in the second part of the seasons. But I think that teams like, of course, thinking about Real Madrid and Sevilla already getting two positions. We have like Barcelona, Atletico, eh, Betis and Villarreal. For me, it's like these four teams, they are going to fight for for two positions in, in the Champions League spots. Yeah, yeah. What about Sevilla? They're six points behind Real Madrid in the race for the title now. They drew nil-nil with Osasuna at the weekend. Ivan Rakitic missing a penalty there. Do you think they can they can catch Real Madrid or does it look like they've blown their chance and, and might be might get sucked into that, that battle for, for Champions League spots? Yeah, Sevilla, even if 
their win today against Elche because they play today Friday. They are going to be only three mm. points behind Real Madrid. And actually, you know, it's going to sound a little bit tough because who am I to say that? But I don't think so Sevilla can catch Real Madrid. And actually, mm. I don't think so that Sevilla is doing a, such a good season as it shows in the in the in La Liga. I think that, as for example, I said before, Sevilla deserve more points than actually had at the beginning of the season. Sevilla deserve much more or less points than actually they have. I mean, if you check, uh, for example, this year, it's already four matches in a row that they are not able to win. And even if you check the first half of the season, almost all of the matches that Sevilla won is like 1-0, 0-1, 2-1, 2-1. Being like kind of lucky because Diego Carlos is performing super well. But they think at one point when you are like always playing, you know, uh, in the border, you know, uh, how can I say, like, you are playing with, yeah, with that risk, like, 1-0, 0-1, one day, one mm. day you can win, but another day you are, you are dropping points, and it's actually what happened against, against Osasuna, and even, for example, against Delta, and, and so many matches already this season. In my opinion, at the end, they are already six points, seven points over, like, the Champions League spots, I don't think so they are going to have any kind of risk with that, but... I don't see them as a competitor to fight for La Liga because I don't think so that they are like performing so well this season, even uh, even the even if you check the table right now. I probably the Sevilla fans yeah. are gonna think like, who is this guy? You know, saying that you know we are like second, <laughs> only three points behind Real Madrid. But you know, I had that feeling that that at one point, uh, especially because they don't they aren't counting with City, that for me is like the best number nine that they have. At one point, they are gonna start to dropping points as they did against Osasuna regularly. Yeah. So Real Madrid champions, you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, <laughs> and, actually, and quite easy because you know the other teams they did compete against Real Madrid, and as I said, having Courtois at that level, he's the best goalkeeper in La Liga so far, and probably the best goalkeeper in Europe so far this season. He's is like a wall, and then you know having Vinicius and Benzema, that actually he has already provided like almost forty goals this season between between both two between goals and assists. It's impossible to compete against them. And let let's think. I mean, it's already it's it's still an utopic, no. But let's think about last next year with with Benzema, Mbappé, and Vinicius in front. Who is gonna mm. be able to stop Real Madrid in one in one? <laughs> Long way, you know. Probably, I mean, at the end, you, when you are playing Champions League or you are playing Copa del Rey, everything can happen. You don't have Karim Benzema. You go to play against Bilbao in Bilbao, and it's a one match, and you can lose. But in a long mm. way, I don't see in the next two, three years, unless that Haaland came to the league and play for Atlético Madrid or Barcelona. That actually, I don't think it's going to happen. Mm. I don't see anyone who is going to be able to beat or to stop Real Madrid for to win like two, three, four La Ligas in a row. Yeah. Well, another team whose fate looks like it's pretty much sealed is Levante. Uh, last time you were on, we were talking about them beating Mallorca to end a, a run of 27 matches without winning. Uh, they've lost both of their games since then. Are they as good as relegated at this point, do you think? Yeah, at that point that we talk about that, I say that I think that Levante he was going to start to win matches because they had a good players. They lost all of them, so I don't know what to say. But it shows what you know. Yeah, but but it, it seems it seems that you know that they are like already the first team who is going to be relegated this season. Actually, it's already kind of a big thing in you know in in Spain, especially in those that they are not the top teams in La Liga. Start to think about okay, who, which players of Levante we can bring to the team? You know, Vigo, Pamplona, all of these teams they are already thinking about. Morales, De Frutos, Campaña, they are like super good players, That their level is first division, uh, and now I think that the, the, the media in Levante is going to talk more about that thing, that actually to, to try to get the, the, the position in La Liga, because it, it, it looks super difficult right now. Yeah, 
The vultures are circling, you might say. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, they were beaten at the weekend, three 0 by Hetafe, who've who've strung a few results together recently and starting to pull away from the relegation zone themselves. Uh, Enes Unal is on fire for Hetafe at the moment. He scored nine goals in twelve games. Are you a fan of his? Man City legend. Eh? Man City yeah, legend. We absolutely. were talking about about that before. <laughs> uh, honestly, uh, he he had like always like our super high expectations because as as we went to, as we were talking before you and me before start start recording. At one point, Villarreal paid 14 millions for him to Manchester City. I mean, mm. when you pay, when a team that it's not Barcelona, Real Madrid, or Atletico, well, not even Atletico, we could include that. When you pay 14 millions for a guy in La Liga, it's because wow, it's like a really, a really big bet uh, for for that team. At that point, in Villarreal, he was not able to really to show his level. He was like on loan in different teams, like for example Valladolid. I think that he was also half season in Levante. And then Getafe even paid 9 million for him. So it's a guy who already moved only in Spain, more than 25 million, and he's only 24 years old. So you are always waiting, okay, he's going to break in at one point. And as you say, he was he was scouted scout by, by Manchester City. I just was checking like some, some of his, his story now that he was a kind of break record kid in, in Turkey. Score, he was like the youngest one at that point to score a goal in Turkey with, with Bursa Sport. Mm. And that's true that this season, it seems that he's the one that he has already break to play. He has scored, uh, as you say, nine goals in 12 games. He's playing sometimes alone, sometimes with uh, Kike Sanchez Florin in a 4-4-2 formation, and he's doing incredibly good. He's not that he has something super special that, for example, you talk about the pace in Haaland or you talk about like the one-touch in Icardi. He's like kind of mix of everything. He gives everything on the pitch. Uh, I mean, the, the numbers are there. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, we've had the, the first legs of the Copa del Rey semi-finals this week. Uh, we had Athletic Club drawing 1-1 with Valencia and Rayo Vallecano losing 2-1 to, uh, to Betis. Sorry, uh, who do you fancy to go on and, and win that competition? If I had to bet now, I would go for Betis and Valencia. Betis, because I think that once they win in, in Vallecas, and knowing how Betis supporters are playing at home, you know, the opportunity to be in a final, you know, I think that it's, 15 years after the last time that Betis played a Copa del Rey final I think that they, mm. they, they it's like 80% that they are already on the final they have like many chances and then the second the second semi-final it's super open but to be honest for me I go also like I have the kind of the same feeling once you are able to survive in, in Bilbao you score that important goal that Hugo Duro scored yesterday and then you're going to play in Mestalla Mestalla is going to be full uh, it's going to be like kind of hell for Atletico de Madrid fans uh, I don't know and even you have a Bordalas who is super good in this kind to prepare and to motivate the players for, for those matches I, I see a, a, a Real Betis-Valencia final in, in Sevilla in, uh, in, in a couple of months and it's going to be super interesting and as we were talking before for at the beginning thanks Rubiales thanks the Spanish Football Federation to bring us a Copa <laughs> del Rey which small teams or at least not the, the, the usual ones they are able to to, to reach the, the final because it's it's so it makes everything fresh it's better for the countries it's better for even the, the football you know to have every season you know the same teams like uh, playing the semi-finals and, and the finals and 
bring some hope to, to supporters like supporters from Celta de Vigo, from Valladolid, from Rayo, like for example from Mallorca, to have the chance to win a title at this one at what at what point in, in your story. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the European Tour podcast. I've been Dan Burke, and a big thank you to all my guests for their insight this week, and to you for listening at home or wherever you are. I will be back again next week to take you on another guided tour of the biggest storylines in European football. But until then, if you would like to contact any of our podcasts with a question or a query, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com.